Shana Tova. A Happy New Year to everyone. You know, things were better when I was young. You could ride your bike in the streets all day and no one worried about you, so long as you came home before it got dark. You could th zip through airports, not take your shoes off. And when you were done with work and went home, you were actually done with work. And of course, the best thing about things when I was young is I was young, which is to say that everything is simpler and better when you're young. It is true that life is better now. And if someone tells you otherwise, remind them, please, about how life expectancy has dramatically increased, how there have been incredible decreases in disease and hunger and violence throughout the world. The opening of equality and tolerances, the likes of which may have been unimaginable just a generation earlier. But in one way, life is not better at all. You know, the men and women who wrote the prayers that fill our machzorim, our prayer books, for these high holidays, they roundly assumed that we all cared about at least one thing all in the same way. Over and over again, the prayers have us pleading for life. Not wealth and not status and not vacations, but life. Chaim. Today, I don't think this is a simple or easy thing for us to see. But today, if these words are to have any meaning, let us spend a few minutes about thinking about life. In fact, the great symbol of these special days in the Jewish calendar is the shofar. And while it is known far and wide for its connection to this moment, what is perhaps lesser known are the laws that guide how it is to be made. One halakha, one law in particular, explains that the shofar must have two ends, which seems obvious, but I do reckon it's possible to have a horn with a mutation that has three ends, if not more. And so a shofar that is kosher, kosher for blowing on Rosh Hashanah must only have two ends. And those two ends must have one that is wide and the other small. And then we must blow only from the small end which is an echo of the role the Jews have seen for themselves over countless generations. It is as the ancient Jewish historian Josephus once said, and remember that Josephus was witness to the final spasm of Jewish independence after the Second Temple was destroyed. It was Josephus who at the end of his writings would say that the task of the Jews now spread far and wide from their homeland was to be a teacher to the people of the world to remind and teach of a better way for us to live. Josephus' words assume the truth of the shofar, that from our small corner of the world we have something to say about the ills of the larger world. But in some ways, it's hard to make that argument that we're immune to those ills any longer. I dare say they're very much here, very much amongst us. You know that the great and long story of humans could be summed up in a simple way. How we have lived changes, why we live doesn't. Which is to say that the environment in which humans live in has been dramatically altered over the time, seen in the clothes that we wear, the tools we use, and the medicine that we take. But the fundamental yearnings that humans have hasn't changed. And they are to be loved, to love, to feel joy, and to feel meaning. And these changes are also seen in a deeper way. In the distant past, humans did not understand nature. Nature was some mysterious, unpredictable, and violent force. And in the face of it all, humans stood stripped of power and full of anxiety of what nature could do. 
that hunger and thirst and cold and heat, a cut could lead to infection, a broken limb could cause your death. And in those primordial moments, we had no knowledge and no power and nature had its hand fully on us. We could only pray and hope. And our prayers, many of them with ancient roots, reflect the control we know we didn't have. But as humans evolved, as science grew, and our technology expanded, as we developed more ways of developing power, this dynamic evolved into a stunning turn where the tables are now one against the other. As technology and scientific knowledge reach greater heights, nature, it seems, ceased to have its grip on us. As night settles, you turn on your lights. If it's cold outside, you make for heat. In the past, the distance of more than five miles between people was as if they have lived on different worlds, whereas today there is no such thing as distance between people. Because we call, we text, we can actually see other people, no matter how far away they may be. And over the past number of years, you've sat at your table, you've spoken with family and friends over jolting political developments, developments like autocracy, the rise of extreme progressive and nationalistic movements, Russia, China, Trumpian lies and violence, anti-Semitism, and rightly so. But what if, what if all of this has been a distraction from a greater, more jarring development? The reversal of a power system that has existed for hundreds of thousands of years, where in the past humans have been enslaved to the cycles of nature, Today and night, winter and summer, a planting and harvesting. But what if this long-for freedom that we thought we had still escapes us? Because one slavery has been exchanged for another. Now, you could pretend and say that we control the switches and buttons and screens. But maybe, maybe, nature isn't done with us after all. So here's what I think. As humans have drawn ever deeper into technology and digital devices, giving us ever more control over ever more parts of the world, a number of secondary and tertiary things have occurred, things that no one could have possibly imagined. Years ago, the sociologist Ronald Wright wrote about the effect of technology and science on humans. As cars were made allowing humans to travel distances unimaginable in the past, traffic and pollution developed at an unimaginable pace. Today, cities throughout the world are actually trying to get people out of their cars. As antibiotics were celebrated as the end of infectious diseases, only in time to find ever-growing numbers of antibiotic-resistant bacteria. The more we prescribed, the more resistant they became, so much so today that doctors try not to prescribe antibiotics, which is to say the more we think we've developed our way out of a problem, the more certain there is to be a problem we didn't imagine. It's progress, but the warning is progress always comes with a trap, a progress trap. The awe and power of our technology is blunted by our addictions to them. Our confidence in our control over the world is belied by our near pervasive, deep-rooted anxiety that permeates us and our children. You know, from the 1970s through the late 1990s, the age of intimate contact between teenagers saw itself happening at a younger and younger age. 
that is until 2006, which is considered the beginning of mass penetration of smartphones. Ever since 2006, that age has increased, and with it, an overall decrease in all kinds of intimacy between people of all ages. In the history of philosophy, lots of thoughts have been created as to what is the essential quality that makes you a human. The Rambam, Maimonides, for example, said that our humanity comes to us at the end of a process of knowledge building. Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, said it comes with the pursuit of truth. But they both took for granted certain things that we no longer can. So let's take a look at a more recent and modern perspective. In asking what the essential thing is that makes us human, the psychologist Stephen Mitchell argued it is connection to each other, that without connection, humans fall and fail. And a tiny piece of research will explain this. Since almost all democratic countries have abolished capital punishment, what is the most powerful punishment that we have left? And it goes without question that it is solitary confinement. Some researchers then ask prisoners, what would they prefer? Solitary confinement or sharing a cell with a violent criminal? I'm going to pause so you can hear me say it again. Solitary confinement or a cell with a convicted violent criminal. And nearly every one of the prisoners chose to be with someone else, no matter how great the danger might be. Because to be alone is to be rendered invisible. To be alone is not to be understood. To be alone is not to be relevant, which in fact is a punishment greater than any human should bear. I remember reading a story of one of my personal heroes, a European rabbi named Yisrael Salanter, who lived about 150 years ago. It is said that on, one, on a teaching trip throughout the Jewish communities of Europe, he took seriously ill. And he sent his students to a larger city to try to locate a doctor who could help him. But it was a trip that would take a few days. The students asked one of the hotel staff to stay with the rabbi. And one of those nights, the rabbi was going reeker. And he looked over to the man staying with him. And he noticed that he was nervous and fidgety. The rabbi asked him what was bothering him. And he told him that he was frightened to be alone with someone who was dying. Rabbi Salanter told him that he's not alone. And then he asked for his hand, which he held until the rabbi took his last breath. But today, could we be more alone, more removed from one another? The paradox, of course, stands before us. Because the digital world of social media and smartphones have created technologies that have connected more people with each other than in any other moment in human history. So why then are we so alone and so deeply anxious? And this is because humans are driven and wired for connection. And the way that we feel this need is with face-to-face -face communication. Is it at all surprising that in explaining and describing the way that God spoke to Moses, that the Torah tells us it was panim el panim, that it was face-to-face, to understand humans is to know that our words are not just words. And the way that we share with one another is not just by what we say. We do this by gestures and tone and how we stand and how we smile. And thousands upon thousands of unspeakable cues from our bodies that send messages to the people that we talk with. Even minutes after talking with someone, you might not remember what someone said to you, but you will always remember how they've made you feel. 
By comparison, digital and social media gives you words and images, but nothing close to the presence and connections that you crave. Humans are a needy species, but not for what the marketers would have you believe. We are consumers, but what we need to consume is not is what is being sold to us. You know, I remember years ago, a congregant telling me not long after getting a Blackberry from his office that his family was getting upset that he was bringing it to the dinner table. So he went out and got phones for everyone. And when he told the story, we all thought how smart and cute it was. But today, knowing what we know, I wonder if that is what we would or should do. I wonder if in 10, 20 or 30 years, if people will look about how we used our devices how we primmed and puffed and projected, how we elevated influencers and media stagers, and look at all this in the same way that we look at family pictures and old movies of people driving without seatbelts or smoking cigarettes. You know, with that particular kind of pity and forgiveness of seeing people do something crude and stupid that we have figured out to do so much better. And as I sat down to think about this sermon, I felt like I'd been writing it for a long time. The sense of it, the reasoning, the logic, this just sheer rightness of it. Today, I understand that there's nothing inconsequential to take your phone out. There's no such thing as just, I'm going to check for mail. No quick response to a text. There's no such thing as, I'll take my phone with me just in case. No posting, uploading without a price for you and the people on the other end. But it's not your fault. We've all been sold a lie, which can be seen and all the cell phone commercials showing people on their phones surrounded with other people, all smiling and laughing. It's a lie because when you're on your phone, you may be with other people, but you are alone. Human life requires presence. So people say to me, you know, rabbis, the shuls are not nearly as full as they used to be, which is true. But neither are libraries, community centers, youth groups, all the kinds of places and things that brought people into our lives. Our technology has made us powerful than humans have ever been before, but it's broken us in ways that humans have never been broken before. Today, I conscientiously leave my phone behind when I go for a walk. I put it in a desk when I head out to be with my family. And the more I do it, the more it feels right, because I am a man of worship, but I will not worship those things. And as for me, I know there will be a great reversal, a coming out and coming into realizing how distant we have grown from each other and ourselves, of how weaker we've become by being alone. How when you walk out from this shul on this morning, how different you will feel in a way that nothing else can give you. And I don't know when we will come to know this, but I pray it'll be soon. You know, of all the trees that fill this beautiful world, none are quite like the Sequoia Redwood trees. They're found in the largest numbers at the Big Sur National Park in California. And these trees can live for over a thousand years. Some are over 270 feet high, 100 feet wide, over two and a half million pounds. But the redwoods have the shallowest root system of any large tree. Roots that go down only six, the maximum of 12 feet into the ground. And researchers wondered, how is it possible that the redwoods simply don't fall down? And they realized that the redwoods are able to stand hundreds of feet in the air 
with nearly no roots to hold them firm because they grow closely alongside each other. The scientists say that it is their closeness which makes them strong. The same is no less for us. May we be blessed with a year of strength that comes from being close to one another. Shana Tova.